This is the podcast of Redemption Bible Church, where applicational preaching is a distinctive of our church. For more information, log on to redemptionfw.org. Thanks for listening. Acts chapter 15, let me read our text for us this morning. We're going to be in verse 36, Acts 15, 36. The author of the book of Acts, Luke, writes this. He says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take them with take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and not gone with them to their work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. You make a decent substitute, Courtney. I mean, decent, but thank you, Drew. All right, so we haven't talked about this yet, and I feel like maybe we got to talk about this a little bit. I know you're probably sick of talking about it already, but bear with me. Let's talk about the slap this morning. You know what I mean by the slap? You know what I mean, right? Uh, yeah, this happened, um, and uh, there's a lot that has been said that could be said about the slap. Uh, but here, <laughs> right or wrong, just to tell you a little bit about who I am, the thing that stood out most to me is how well Chris Rock took a punch, took a slap. You know what I mean? He was up there all of a sudden smack, and you know this is Will. This is Will Smith. I mean, the guy is like he played Muhammad Ali. Uh, he reared back and really got him. And I thought, you know, Chris Rock did a great job of like, oh, okay, wow, kind of laughed it off a little bit and uh, went on his way. Didn't drop his nose or anything. Didn't run out and attack the guy, um, which is what Drew would have done. But uh, you know, he kind of held himself back. And but um, yeah, here's what it revealed to me. Somewhere along the way, Chris Rock learned how to take a hit. And if you wait to this moment, you're too late. If you're waiting to this moment to learn what you're going to do when the hit comes, you're already too late. You can't wait for conflict to arise to prepare for conflict. You have to prepare early to enter into that conflict. Now, what does Chris Rock and Will Smith have to do with Redemption Bible Church this morning? Well, here's what I want to say to you. This may be shocking to some. Interpersonal conflict with other believers is inevitable. Now, hopefully not at slap level, but there's been temptation moments in my life, but for the most part, uh, I want to say to you that there is conflict coming. Some of you have already experienced conflict, and if you haven't, it's coming. So here's what I want to say today. This is it. Be ready when conflict comes. We need to be ready when conflict comes. I want to dive into this text a little bit and pull out from here four actions to take to help us be ready when conflict comes. So here's action number one. Write this down. I'll be motivated by the mission. I'll be motivated by the mission. And I want your eyes to fall on, again, verse number 36 as we take this really interesting story in the book of Acts, the story of Paul and Barnabas separating ways. What happened? What can we learn from that? Well, look at verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. And that's good. That's awesome. You see, this is what we see in the book of Acts. 
The book of Acts is the story of the gospel going forward uh, from Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world, and that's happening through the planting and the strengthening of local churches. So Paul and Barnabas are going out, they're preaching the gospel. People are believing the gospel. And as that happens, the churches are being uh, planted and now strengthened. And one of the reasons why, the main reason why we wanted to study Acts is to remind us all of this mission that we're still on as a church, to proclaim the gospel, to see the gospel moving forward. That's the mission. And we decided to preach the entire book of Acts, which we knew was going to take time because we wanted to repeat over and over again, this is the mission, to preach the gospel, to plant churches, to see churches strengthened, to preach the gospel, to preach the gospel, to get that out, and that mission should unite us. That mission should be something you think about, not just here on a Sunday morning, obviously here, but beyond here. Tomorrow, be thinking about the gospel mission And on Tuesday, thinking about this mission you have been called to, to preach the gospel to every creature, to see people saved, churches strengthened, so on and so forth. Why? Because the mission is incredibly unifying. Let me give you an example of this. Uh, Darren, if you don't mind being noticed again, would you stand over here in the corner? And then if I could have Jerry, would you go in that back corner back there for me, if you would, please? Yeah, Caleb, back in that corner is perfect. Then one more guy, uh, uh, Blake, would you come over here to this corner up here? Now, these guys are, look at, these guys are far apart. I said Jared. I do this every time. It's fine. It's all right. Jaden, Jared, one same thing. It's fine, but you're fine. You just go ahead and go. So these guys are far apart. They're angry with one another. But walk to me, if you would, please. We'll just walk here to me. Go ahead. You can walk to me. All four of you guys, just make your way over here somehow, some way. Walk over here. Now, you notice that the more they begin to rally to a central point, the more together they become. When they can get unified around one thing, they can have togetherness. I won't make you hug, but go ahead and have a seat. Give Jaden a hug too, would you, for giving his name wrong? Would you just, yeah, I don't know why I keep doing that to that poor kid. Um, it can be a powerful thing when a church is united around mission, a powerful thing. Paul and Barnabas were united around mission, and even though they were, they still separated. Can you imagine if they weren't? Could you imagine what would happen if they didn't have the same mission? So I want to call us all to that passionate mission of gospel proclamation. But obviously we're all there already, right? Everybody in this room is already fired up for gospel ministry, correct? Are you though? Everyone here serves who's serving in the church for this one purpose, to see the gospel go forward, right? Because that's why everybody always serves in the church forever, right? And people aren't, aren't ever motivated by the wrong things, are they? Very quickly, you can see in the local church, there are a lot of things that can motivate us. Our hearts are fickle. And other motivations capture our hearts all the time. Let me give you a couple of things that typically capture a heart that bring conflict. Uh, one thing that can capture your heart very easily and bring conflict is the motivation of significance. Significance. My identity is wrapped up around my service in the church. And what I mean by that is what people think about me. 
I want to be up front. I want to have the applause of men. I want adoration. And it's not quite that bold. Very often it appears more subtly in, well, they just never notice what I do. Now, there's something to be said about needing to acknowledge and appreciate good labor. But if you're doing this so that others will see you do it, that's a really bad motivation. Is it true that sometimes we're motivated by that? Yes, it is. Some people in local church get motivated not by mission, but by control. I want it my way. I know how this should be done. I know what this should look like. And it better be done. And it better be done my way. And if you argue with that, if you don't see my way, then obviously I'm mad at you because you don't believe what I believe, that I am the gift to the church, that I see things the right way. And so therefore there's conflict because there's a desire for control. Or how about this people-pleasing? Anyone ever get hung up on people-pleasing? You know, when I first started in ministry, I really believed in my heart that I could do it in such a way to make everybody happy with me. Any guesses as how long that lasted? <laughs> I mean, it just doesn't. People get upset with you over the silliest things. How many of you all love the great chairs in the room? You love the great chairs? Go ahead. You can raise your hand. Just fine. I'm going to do a couple times. You really go, yeah, all right. How many of you would like blue chairs instead? Like blue chairs? Let's give all the blue chair people sit over here and the gray chair, and then I'll say go, and we'll just, we'll just have at it. And you know, what I would do early on in ministry is like, okay, so we've got gray, gray people and blue people. Let's do every other chair. That'll make everybody happy. Oh, I hate how that looks. That looks ridiculous. Why did you, you know? And nobody's happy. And if you think you can go through life and do it in such a way to please people, well, I'm sorry. It's just never going to happen. And that should not be our motivation. So just stop and think for a moment. Be honest. Can you think about other motivations that drive your ministry in the church? Why do you serve? Why are you here? And I'm hoping it's for the right thing. Do you think about the mission? Look at me now. Do you think about the mission you're called to beyond Sunday morning? This past week, I mean, you lived the whole week. How often did you think about, we gotta get the gospel out? We gotta strengthen churches. We gotta, this is the thing I'm called to. Or if you're honest, can you say that your life was probably driven by other things? Man, if we can get on mission, it's so unifying. But even then, there's conflict. And so uh, be comforted by this, number two. So I'm gonna be motivated by mission. I'm gonna be comforted by the commonality. Be comforted by the commonality. Uh, and here's what I mean by that. Take a look at this. This is, um, we're going to pick it up in verse number 38 again and uh, see this. So verse number 38. So verse number 37, if you will, 37. Uh, now, uh, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, and Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose, uh, what does your Bible say? Sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. There was a sharp disagreement. And when you study this out, it's really interesting in the original text. Uh, we often hear this story, and it's kind of taught like, well, there's Paul, and there's Barnabas, and they kind of had this disagreement, so they kind of got together and were like, hey, can I bring John Mark? You know, I'd rather him not come. That's fine, that's fine, we'll just go over here. And Okay, great, we'll go over here. And very, very nice, very sweet, and that's not what occurred. 
The language indicates when it says that Paul thought best not to take, the a translation of that could be he kept deeming it not wise. In other words, this kept coming up, and Paul kept saying, no, we're not taking him. No, we're not taking him. And Barnabas, who, by the way, happens to be John Mark's cousin, kept on saying very strongly, and, and this, this argument went so that there was a sharp disagreement. Harsh words were probably shared. In fact, uh, John MacArthur says this, this is not an amicable parting. They were in sharp disagreement regarding John Mark. Now, hold on a second. Who was it that's arguing here? Paul and Barnabas. This is Paul and Barnabas. Look back over the last several chapters in the book of Acts. Barnabas and Paul, Paul and Barnabas, and they went to all these churches and they preached the gospel. So all, God do incredible things. In fact, look back in verse number 15 at what the Jerusalem council said about them in verse number uh, 24. Since we have heard this in person, this is a 1524. This is a letter, you know how it happened. There was this great um, <clears throat> debate going on. The Jerusalem council meets. Now they're sharing their decision about this with the rest of the church. So verse number 24 says this, since we have heard that some persons have gone up from us and have troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we give them no instructions, it seemed good to us having come to one accord. It's really interesting how Luke uh, compares how, what it looks like to be in unity and what it looks like to not be in unity. But to one accord to choose men and send them to you with our, look at this, beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ. These are guys who were together, man. They were a duo, you know, like Batman and Robin or Bert and Ernie or Han and Chewie, can I get a witness? Godly men, church. Godly men who God greatly used, and they're fighting. So when we are in a church, and we have this contention that goes on with other people, what's our first reaction? Give me your face. Let me see on your face. What would your first reaction to when conflict comes up? I mean, it's like, ugh, I hate that when conflict comes up. And we get to believe that, oh, this, is, this shouldn't happen. In a sense, that's true, but it does. And it's very, very common. Exceedingly common. Too common. In fact, we see it all throughout the Bible. Here's uh, Galatians chapter 2. And in Galatians chapter 2, we have this from Paul. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I exposed him to his face. Because he stood condemned. Before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. And when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So even Barnabas uh, was led astray by their hypocrisy. So here it is. Now, two again, godly men having conflict. It's common. Say it's common. Come on. It's common. Book of Philippians. This is one of the sweetest books that Paul wrote. He was very complimentary to the church at Philippi. But at the end of it, we see this. I entreat Yodica and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Why do you have to say that? Because they were walking in disagreement. Yes, I ask you, true companion, help these women who have labored by my side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. There are these people who had worked alongside Paul and they had conflict. 
Have you had conflict in the church? Have you had disagreement with other believers? It is common. Now, is it okay? Is that what God wants? Here's 1 Corinthians 1 to make that really clear. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you, what does it say? Agree that there are no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it is reported to me that Chloe's people, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Paulus, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? And what's the answer to that question? No, he's not. Does God want conflict? No. But does conflict happen? Yes. And I think if you come into a church and you begin to work with other believers and somewhere along the way you believe, well, I'm going to make everybody happy or everyone's going to love me. What's that song? They're going to love me. I just wanted to sing it once at least in the church. Um. If you believe kind of like that's going to happen and go on, that there's never going to be conflict, you're setting yourself up with the wrong expectations. And that can be scary. You ever see, see people with a newborn baby? You know, they got a newborn baby, and they're like, they don't know what to expect, and they're like, his diaper looks really weird. <laughs> Should it look that way? Or she's three months old, she's not crawling yet. Is that okay? And we have all these expectations. We don't understand that this is a part of being a part of a church. These things happen, then that could be very, very scary. So set the right expectation. We strive for unity. We labor to get along. But conflict will still arise. And our temptation is to say, well, if it does, then maybe the church is doing something wrong. Well, maybe, or maybe the church is being attacked because we're doing something right. In fact, take your Bible. Would you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2? 2 Corinthians chapter 2. We already saw in the verse I just shared with you about the conflict that was going on in Corinth and how Paul came in and he admonished them for the conflict and the division that was there. Uh, in between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, there's actually another letter. This is the third 2 Corinthians. He says this is the third time I've written to you, so there's a letter in between. And Paul really addressed some of these issues and addressed some of the sin that was going on. And what happened was the church had some church discipline on some folks because of this, the conflict that was there. But now it was time to reconcile, and the pr- people were repentant. And they weren't sure what to do. So Paul gives instruction in verse number five. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, uh, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather forgive and comfort him or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. So personal conflict happens, and Paul's encouraging, because of the gospel, show forgiveness and reaffirm your love. Now, all of that's important because of verse number 11. Look at verse number 11. So we should not be outwitted by who? Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. In other words, church conflict is how the enemy divides people. 
it is a part of what he does. So when I say comforted is a weird word, well, here's what I want you to know. If you've experienced conflict, you're normal. And chances are, it's the attack of the enemy on us, and we have to be careful about that. So what do we do then? So what do we do? Well, it brings us to point number three. I'll be motivated by mission. I'll be comforted by commonality. And now I want to focus on this. I'll be taught by the truth. I'll be taught by the truth. And I want you to go back to Acts chapter 15. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read this story together with us, and I want you to read it along with me, because at the end, I'm going to have us decide who was right here. Was Paul right or was Barnabas right? So get your your heads on here a little bit. Let's think about this as we read. So here's verse number 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And so there arose an agreement and they separated. All right. So who here would say, I believe that Barnabas was the guy in the right. You know, he wanted to show grace. He wanted to show love. He wanted to be patient. He wanted to endure with people. How many here would say, I think Barnabas was in the right. Go ahead, raise your hand. Okay, several of you there. Okay, uh, how many people say Paul? Paul was like, no, this guy was there and he left. We didn't leave. We continued to press in. This guy gave up too early. He's not ready for this. He needs more time. How many would agree with Paul? Okay, so Barnabas people, Paul people. Okay, if a Barnabas person is near a Paul person, would you punch him? No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. We can't decide. And here we are with God's word in front of us, and we're sitting here talking. I studied it all week. By the way, it, it, it seems, as Paul, Luke is writing this, that Luke is probably siding with Paul uh, because of how this is written. But, but it's not like it's super clear. It's not like he says, and Barnabas was wrong, and Paul was right. I mean, it's just it's confusing. And here's what's interesting about that. That's why I love the Bible, because the Bible is so much like real life. Because in interpersonal conflicts, it's often very confusing. And it's hard to figure out who's in the right and who's in the wrong. Wouldn't it be awesome if we could just easily say, well, you're wrong and she's right and that's it. But it's very rarely that easy. Man, I wish God would have given us some more instruction than just this, don't you? Like, wouldn't it be awesome if God had told us what we do when people sin against us? Wouldn't that be great? I wish that God had, how many here would say by vote, uh, yes, I wish that God would have given us instructions. If you believe that, just say aye. Yes, well, good news. He did. Take your Bible, go to Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18. Now, I need to say, when it comes to this, in one sense, I'm going to lay this out really simplistically. I want to acknowledge there is a ton of complexity that I just, if I preached all of that, would be here for several hours. All in favor signify by saying, okay, I didn't think so. And I'm not so much talking about when is it right to leave a church, when is it not right to leave a church. There's some discussion there when you get into doctrinal differences and mission differences, and there's a lot of complexity. I'm focusing mainly on interpersonal relationships here, okay? You tracking with me on this? You and your brother and what to do with all of that. This is clear, so I want to look at this together in God's Word. This is uh, Matthew 18. And I want to look at uh, verse number 15. 
If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Read these next words with me, please. Between you and him alone. I'll keep reading. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidences of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen even to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, then let him be to you a Gentile and a tax collector. Okay, so pretty simple. Step one is what? Go and talk to him. So easy enough. Step one, you go and you talk to your brother. That's step one. Uh, then uh, what's step two? Take some witnesses with you. So step two, we're going to bring some witnesses with you and go to him. And if he doesn't uh, return to step two, then what do we do? Step three is bring it to the church. Okay, easy enough? Step one, clear? All right. Where do you think this falls apart the most? Without question, step one. Like, like 90% of the issue, uh, more than that, 99% of the time, it falls apart right here. Now, I believe the majority of issues are settled at step one. Rarely do we have to get to two, and very rarely do we have to get to three. But we don't even do one right. So I'm going to make this super, super, super clear and super easy. I need a couple of, of volunteers here. So let me grab Brandon and Jay. You guys are right here handy. Let me grab Brandon and Jay. How well are you guys getting along right now? Okay. Because <laughs> that's about to change. All right. So let's say that Brandon sins against Jay. Okay. Brandon has sinned against Jay. What should Jay do? Someone said slap. Some of the first service said slap him too. I was going to say, notice that he's bigger than I am. Yes, yeah, so don't slap him. Uh, all right, especially if I'm in the middle. Let me back up first. All right. No. So, so should Jay stew on it for a long time? Should Jay tell all of his friends about it? What should he do? Go. So he's going to go. All right, so now he's gone. And what's he going to do once he goes? Talk, talk about Talk about sports, maybe, but he can talk about a lot of issues and not get to the issue. And if you don't get to the issue, you've not gone yet. He's got to get to the issue. So he says, the issue, you've offended me. All right. How, how clear is that? Okay. Should Jay tell Michael about it? Should Jay tell Al about it? Okay. Who should he tell? Him alone. Okay, would you guys sit like right up here? So I'm going to borrow you again in just a second. And uh, no punching, slapping, hitting, kicking, biting, all of that. Hands to ourselves, children. Okay. Do you know how important this is to God? I think that one of the reasons why this is such a struggle for people is because they don't understand the weight that God gives the local church. And in a city where if you don't like this church, you can just pick up and go to another because we're the city of... We don't give the local church the weight that it needs and the relationships within the local church the weight that it needs. I want you to take your Bible and I want you to go to Ephesians chapter 3. I want to show you something in God's Word here. Ephesians chapter 3. 
we've already seen that a device of the enemy, we know his schemes. And his schemes is to get people to fight one another, to divide the church. Okay, well, let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 3 to see why it's important to see that. Look at verse number 20. This is so awesome. This is how chapter 3 ends. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly uh, all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be glory, read it with me please, in the church. The church should be the place where the glory dwells. Why? Well, because, take a look at verse number 10. Check this out. Look at verse number 10 of chapter 3. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known. And what's that manifold wisdom of God? Well, verse 7 of this gospel. So again, it's back to the mission. The mission of the church carrying the gospel out to the world so that the world can know about the gospel. And that's to happen within the local church. And so Paul says in verse number 21, this is where the glory should dwell. The gospel should go forward and the glory should dwell in the local church. And that leads us then, check this out now, to verse number 1 of chapter 4. I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. What are we talking about? Well, listen, look at these words. With all humility and what? Gentleness with patience. Check this out. Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in a bond of peace. Now, I'm going to keep reading now. And, and the word one comes up several times. Whenever the word one comes up, I want you to just read it with me, okay? Here we go, verse number four. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. I think God wants the church to be... So... Boys, here's Matthew 18, 15 again, because here's what we know. We just baptized seven people between two services today. God is at work. Do you believe it? I believe he's only begun to work. Uh, I, I am not shy to say that I pray that revival breaks out in Fort Wayne, Indiana. I want to see thousands come to know Jesus Christ through the work of our ministry, not for the glory of our ministry or for the glory of a name but for the glory of Jesus Christ. I want to see that happening. And I believe God will do it. I believe God can do it. And I believe the enemy knows it. And so therefore, the enemy is going to be attacking. And so, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between, come on church, between you and him alone. And work through that. Get these issues settled. Thank you guys. Have a seat. It's very important to get these things restored and to get these things cared for. It's the church, and God wants the church. So what do you do? Well, if there's an issue that you have and you know someone sinned against you, the Bible says that, or maybe, maybe you realize you've sinned against someone. You ever have that? Like you realize, oh man, I, I sinned against that person. So does the Bible have any instruction about what we do if we realize we've sinned against somebody? 
If you're going to lay your gift down at the altar and they realize that your brother has something against you, leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled to your brother. Make a beeline to make it right. And I want to encourage you, man, if you need to do that, if you know that you've sinned against someone or someone sinned against you, either way, go to them. Go to them. Yeah, but they should come to me. Yes, they should. And you should go to them. Both are true. Get together. Make it happen. Make it right. Does God want conflict? But here's a question I want to end with. Can God use conflict? Because maybe you're here and like you've had some conflict and you've tried to make it right and it just didn't get reconciled the way you wanted it to or the way it should have. I have lots of relationships that way where I have done everything I can to lead people to truth. If, if I could share with you some of the silly reasons people leave a church... I mean, it makes the carpet color look like a good idea, a good reason to leave. Like some of the things I've experienced and be like, you're leaving over that? Okay. Um, but having said that, like, like I, I, you go and you try and you try to bring reconciliation and it just doesn't come together. Can, what, what does God do with that? Well, look at verse 40 of Acts 15. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. By the way, I think especially because of verse 40 is why I would say Luke probably uh, sides with Paul in all of this. But regardless, here's just number 41. Check this out. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. God was still at work. And even the conflicts within the local church could not stop the work of God. And I want you to be comforted this morning to know God is going to be at work. Listen, not just in spite of the conflict, God works through the conflict. God can take the conflict that you experience and he can work it out to bring himself glory. So here's the last action, four actions for you this morning. I'll be motivated by mission. I'll be comforted by the commonality. I'll be taught by the truth. And lastly, this, I'll be restful in the results because God is going to do a work. Romans 5 is such an encouraging chapter in its entirety. But Romans 5 verse 3 says this, not only that, but we rejoice in our Sufferings. Why? Because I hate conflict. I hate that suffering. But check out what God does. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. Man, God is at work. Put your hope in the love of God when you're in the middle of a conflict and watch him do incredible things. And God does incredible things. The church was still strengthened. And check this out. Through the conflict, God actually restores all of these relationships. If we were to look at 1 Corinthians 1, we're not going to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul comes back and talks about Barnabas. And he talks about Barnabas in a very favorable way. He and Barnabas were restored. It was so encouraging to see. But check this out. This is 1 Peter chapter 5, verse number 13. What happened to Mark? Whatever happened to that guy? So Paul didn't like him. He didn't want to get in ministry with him. What happened with all of that? Well, interestingly enough, 1 Peter 5, 13. This is Peter writing, or Cephas. Uh, she, remember, he's got tons of names. Rocky, one Bible translation, actually translates his name Peter to Rocky. True story. If your Bible does that, 
you can leave it up here at the end of the service, and we'll, we'll take care of it. First uh, Peter 5.13 says this, She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends you greetings, and so does Mark. What do you say? My son. My son. Paul apparently was restored to um, John Mark, because you see this in Colossians 4. Uh, this dude, my fellow, I, I didn't practice his name, I forgot to, okay? Uh, my fellow prisoner greets you, and Mark greets you. So Paul is saying, hey, I greet you in the name of Mark, Paul says. The cousin of Barnabas, he was with Paul there. And in fact, you see this at the end of 2 Timothy. Luke alone is with me. And he says this, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Isn't that awesome? Listen. This is important now. This is what God does. He takes our screw-ups, our mistakes, our conflicts, our sin, and he turns it around to bring himself incredible glory. Isn't that the cross of Jesus Christ? He died for our wretchedness. He died for our sin. He paid for it all. And then he rose again. And he covered all of our sin. And he took the hurt and the anger and the frustration and he turned it around to forgiveness and grace and joy. And I would love to see if you have interpersonal conflicts with other people, the gospel being the thing that you come back to, the gospel being the thing that brings reconciliation, that reunites you, that encourages you, that pushes you forward, and to see God do great work through the power of the gospel. And I believe he can. And I believe he will. And I pray that he'll do that for you. So church, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to be motivated by mission. Please, hear yes, but this week as you live life, man, let the mission of the gospel fire you up and push you out. Let's be comforted by the fact that even though these things shouldn't happen, they do, and it's normal to experience conflict. Be comforted by that. Also be taught by the truth. God's word gives us instruction on what to do. And then we're just going to, at the end, give God the results and trust him with it all. So Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the gospel. Lord, I, I, I know the enemy wants to attack Redemption Bible Church. I know the enemy wants to divide people. And Lord, I would pray that you would give us just the strength to obey your word. It is not comfortable to go to somebody. It is not comfortable to sit down and have these conversations. It's so much easier to put it under the rug, to use some excuse to say, this is not, you know, this is, something other than what I should do, but the reality is your word would have us to go and to talk and to work these things out. And then, Lord, I would pray that when we do, that we'd just put on the gospel, that we would be compassionate, tender, with humility, and that we'd bear with one another and do this all for your glory. Protect our church, Father. Use us for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you, Redemption. You are loved.